you just described very accurately to your listeners the um, kind of the second time that I rolled out into the city streets. I went out when the emission first launched. Um, middle of the afternoon on that first day, I'm bringing back a wounded ranger and on the way back him through an intense gunfight. Somebody's killed right next to me. Our vehicles are shot to pieces. And I didn't even think we would survive long enough to make it back to the base. As you just described, more than one helicopter is shot down. We put everybody who can go back into the city at the first crash Blackhawk. And now I'm being sent out for the second crash Blackhawk. And this for me is a moment where I was 100% certain that I was gonna die. We are 43 episodes in to the All Things All People podcast. Yes, 43 episodes. How cool is that? But this one is by far the most intimidated I've been <laughs> talking to Major Jeff Struker, a real American hero, and also just kind of like a giant in the faith in my eyes. And you're going to hear a bunch of reasons why here in just a minute. Major Struker is an awesome guy. You are here to hear an awesome, awesome story from him uh, that goes far beyond the Battle of Mogadishu in the events of Black Hawk Down, which he is now well known for, that goes much deeper into his spiritual life and just how vital Jesus is in his life, as I hope he is in yours. And so I'm glad that you joined in for today's episode of the All Things All People podcast. A little side note, we are halfway through our first pop-up shop. If you have not gone to allthingsallpeople.org slash shop, go do that right now, even as you're listening, unless you're driving. And uh, go check out the Think Like a Christian crew neck sweatshirt, Think Like a Christian t-shirts, and All Things All People podcast stickers. Um, I would love for you to have some Think Like a Christian merchandise, not just because it supports the show, but because it's you being part of the vision of All Things All People and the All Things All People podcast. And like I said, we're 43 episodes in. I couldn't be prouder of where the show has come and where it's going. Actually recording this intro right now, I am staring up at my marker board here in the All Things All People podcast office. And um, it's all the people who are going to be on the show and all the people that I'm reaching out to currently to be on the show. And boy, is it a daunting list, but we do it because we want to see generations of Christian thinkers raised up to understand and reach the world around them with the transformative message of the gospel. And yes, to put it simply, we want to teach Christians how to think like a Christian. And that's why we sell shirts that say think like a Christian. So go check it out. All things, slash shop. Go check out the show notes. It's there. Um, we have a ton of other stuff coming up in the life of all things, all people. But the most important, honestly, is what we're doing today, which is talking to Major Jeff Struker. As you're going to hear in his intro, Major Struker started out his Army career as a U.S. Army Ranger. Has one of the most impressive intros I've ever read on this show. And honestly, the most impressive parts of the interview and his story are some of the stuff that might get overlooked by the people listening. Um, this guy honestly is just one of the more genuine, humble people I've ever met, um, but has a story that is so powerful that I think every single person listening to this episode today is going to be impacted by it. Um, and so 
I hope that you're in a spot where you can listen to the entire thing in one shot. If you can't, that's fine, but make sure you make it all the way through the end to hear where he's at today, where he's been, and how Jesus was sitting next to him the entire way. And so I'm glad for you to hear from our Christian thinker for this week, a real hero, Major Jeff Struger. My next guest served for 10 years in the 75th Ranger Regiment as part of the U.S. Army. Throughout his career, he has attended numerous professional military schools and has received many awards and commendations, including the Combat Action Badge in 1996, won the David L. Grange Best Ranger Competition. I do not imagine that's an easy competition to win. His combat experience includes participation in the invasion of Panama, Operation Desert Storm, more than a dozen combat tours in Afghanistan and Iraq, it was at the Battle of Mogadishu, as was portrayed in the book and movie Black Hawk Down. After leaving enlisted service, he spent his final 10 years in the Army, serving as a chaplain in airborne and ranger units. In 2017, he was inducted into the U.S. Army Ranger Hall of Fame. He holds a Ph.D. from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and now pastors Two Cities Church, only 20 minutes away from where he once trained as a soldier at Fort Benning, Georgia. It is without a doubt an absolute honor to have on the show today a true hero, Major Jeff Stuker. Uh, Major Stuker, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Yeah, it is great to be with you. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, I, I'm i sort of overwhelmed reading that introduction. I, I know that that's probably um, interesting hearing people say all those things about you. That's just the life you've, you've lived, but um, this has led you now to pastoring and there in Columbus, Georgia. And uh, and so, yeah, I'm sure that you get kind of tired of people making a big deal out of what for you, I'm sure just feels like commonplace at this point. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm honored to be able to tell stories about uh, what the, about the really the guys that I served with. Um, but I really consider myself just another dude like the rest of those guys and not a whole lot, you know, special about me. Right. Well, I, I mean, I think many people would, would, uh, respectfully disagree but i think more than anything um you know i'm so appreciative of you your time today but but your service and and, and so many other things um i i know as uh, from from reading about you and, and listening to your own testimonies and things like that that obviously you speak so much about uh the events of your life that have now become very well known by a lot of people and i'd certainly love to hear about that but before we hear about your experiences in battle um, I'm a pastor like you, and I'm so fascinated that uh, you now pastor, like I said, about 20 minutes away from Fort Benning, uh, where you once trained as an infantryman and ranger. And now those men who uh, are living a life so similar to the one that you've lived uh, are within reach of your pastoral ministry. Does, does this, your story that you're so well known for impact those men in a way that you don't, that maybe other people wouldn't be able to? Uh, I don't, yeah, I wouldn't want to say other people couldn't, but I do admit that because my name is recognized from the movie in the book, Black Hawk Down, um, people will listen to me right away where others have to earn the right to, you know, yeah. talk to guys. So I, I use the phrase instant rapport. Um, just the recognition from the movie Black Hawk Down gives me instant rapport with some people. And I consider that a great privilege, 
but I also consider it something that I'm not going to take for granted. And I want to, I want to honor the instant rapport that warriors, especially warriors give me. I have a, a good friend of mine who I was actually sitting with this morning, who is actually a chaplain candidate right now in the army. And I told him that I was talking to you and he said, Oh man, I can't imagine really? <laughs> having the experiences that, that you've had. And then going back in to uh, be a chaplain over Ranger units. And like you say, that instant rapport that so many other guys, whether they're chaplains or pastors yeah. have to earn. Um, so you know, with that in mind, I, whether people have seen the movie, read the book or heard you speak, obviously, um, I, I think it's so important to say that you are so much bigger than the, the Battle of Mogadishu. And, and as that introduction showed, you you were part of so many other operations and then went back and, and served as chaplain. Um, but of course, most well known in October of 1993, um, you and a group of other elite soldiers embarked on a mission in Mogadishu, Somalia. Uh, to capture or kill a particular Somali warlord. Major Struger, normally I do my best to ensure that the guests of this show don't have to repeat something that they've said in a thousand other places. Okay. Um, but I'm sure I could not do your story justice. And so um, for our listeners, would you would you briefly describe uh, the events of Black Hawk Down from your perspective? Because if yeah. someone's seen the movie, um, I just don't think it does it justice from what I've heard from you. Sure. So. Well, the first 30 seconds of the movie has that text rolling across the screen that tries to give everybody the background. But I honestly believe it's almost impossible to give people the perspective in those 30 seconds. So it's kind of the cliff notes of the cliff notes is what you're getting at the start of the movie Black Hawk Down. You have this country in the Horn of Africa that's facing hundreds of thousands of people dead from starvation, a famine that's been going on now for several years. The country of Somalia doesn't have a government functioning. Uh, there's no real military, no police force. And so you have a handful of guys that have access to money because they have access to drugs. And the drug money buys them guns and they start to fight one another. Um, and it becomes pretty much a war-torn country by 1993. The United Nations and the U.S. are trying to help feed the starving people of Somalia, and one of those warlords targets and starts to attack United Nations workers, starts to target U.S. supply convoys, doing a humanitarian mission, and eventually, after killing 24 Pakistani United Nations workers, the UN Security Council decides to send me and the rest of the guys from Task Force Ranger to go kill or capture Muhammad Farah Idid and take down his clan leadership. That's kind of why we went to Somalia in the first place. The mission gets pretty dangerous right out of the gate and it just goes from you know bad to worse. And eventually, after th what we thought would be about six months, we're three months into it, still haven't captured the number one guy on our list, and now getting a lot of pressure from Washington, D.C. to get out of here, because the news around the world is starting to use words like, this is another Vietnam. And during the course of, as you just described, October of 1993, we launched a mission to go get a couple of really high-ranking leaders from Muhammad Farah Idid's clan. And this turns into an 18-hour battle with a couple of hundred of us U.S. warriors in the streets and on the, in the skies against probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 20,000 armed Somalis. And it just 
becomes a bloodbath that's pretty well depicted in the book in the movie Black Hawk Down. Mm-hmm. That's the really, really short version of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I'm so thankful for men and women like you because uh, I, I personally never served. Um, I'm actually from a family of men and women who've served behind me is actually a flag that uh, I received because of my grandfather's service in World War II. And I've, I've always, like so many people, fascinated with the stories that come from men and women like you um, going into this battle, going into these uh, scenarios like you've faced in Panama and Operation Desert Storm and in Mogadishu. Um, what is the mindset of someone who knows that they may be asked to give their life uh, in service of their country? Um, it's just something that people like me who've never served, I don't think we could ever really uh, imagine what that's like from the perspective of men and women like you. Yeah. Um, it would be hard for me to explain this to somebody who doesn't really have military experience. So I probably am not going to be able to do this justice in a (laughs) short period of time. Um, But you really have kind of two conflicting emotions that are going on here. You have the idea of, hey, this is combat. This isn't the Boy Scouts. This is real. Those bullets will kill you. And I need to be prepared uh, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, but not everyone who goes to war is is prepared spiritually for the idea that I might die. That's one of the emotions. But the other conflicting emotion is that as a young, very well-trained special operations soldier, you have this feeling of being 10 foot tall and bulletproof. Like, I'm so well-trained. I'm so good at what I do. Yeah, I know I could die, but it's not going to happen because of how good we are at what we do. And I think that second emotion, that's a bubble that like a balloon that was burst for a lot of my friends on the city streets of Mogadishu when they saw, you know, some of the best trained warriors on earth take a bullet in the head and fall right in front of them or right next to them. And that's when they all started to realize, "Uh uh-oh, this, I'm, I am not, I'm not really 10 foot tall and bulletproof and I might be next. Mm-hmm. And that shook a lot of guys up, quite honestly. Well, and, and rightfully so, because as I said, I, I couldn't even begin to fathom imagining that. Um, and if somebody is familiar with the movie or the book or has heard you and, and some of your friends share about that, um, there's a particular moment, I think, where you've described, at least from my uh, hearing you, you speak in many places, is um, where it became most real for you in, um, in, in the course of events, you were uh, leading a column of, of Humvees through the, the streets of Mogadishu and dealing with ambushes after ambushes. And at one point you lost a friend of yours um, on your way back to, to your post. And I've heard you describe when you and your, your team were asked to go back into Mogadishu and, and, uh, take part in the uh, recovery of this fallen Blackhawk, which is the namesake for the movie and the book. Um, and, and you and your team had barely made it out uh, the first time. And you describe uh, the peace that descended upon you because of your faith, which you you had known Christ since you were 13 years old, I believe I've heard you share. Um, and then the most amazing thing I, I was actually just before I came in here sharing with a friend of mine that you and I were going to talk and I was sort of telling them your story and how the events of that night, which of course were not necessarily depicted in the movie from your standpoint, um, 
was that by the next morning, many of your friends were asking you, Jeff, what made you so different out there? Because you said that you had never experienced the calm that you experience. So um, what was it that made you stand out in this battle uh, that had so many other brave men fighting in it? Yeah, I'm not sure I did. Well, uh, let me put it this way. I know I didn't do anything better than another guy in right. Somalia. I definitely wasn't a, a better trained. Um, for me, it was purely spiritual. And by this, I'm saying you just described very accurately to your listeners the um, kind of the second time that I rolled out into the city streets. I went out when the emission first launched, um, middle of the afternoon on that first day. I'm bringing back a wounded ranger and on the way back him through an intense gunfight. Somebody's killed right next to me. Our vehicles are shot to pieces. And I didn't even think we would survive long enough to make it back to the base. As you just described, more than one helicopter is shot down. We put everybody who can go back into the city at the first crash Blackhawk. And now I'm being sent out for the second crash Blackhawk. And this for me is a moment where I was 100% certain that I was going to die. In fact, I was not using the words out loud, but in my mind, I was thinking suicide mission. All of us are going to die. And because of my very strong Christian faith, as you just mentioned, uh, I became a Christian at 13 years old. God radically changed my soul. And there was no question about where I was going to spend eternity. When I was preparing myself to go back out into the city streets, and as I started to pray and ask for God's strength to help me do what I knew was going to cost me my life, I had this moment of supernatural peace. I, I think the only language that I can use to describe it is what the Bible calls the peace that passes all understanding. Mm -hmm. I'm totally certain that I'm going to die, but at perfect peace at the same time. And for the rest of the night, I rolled back out in the city streets a couple of more times and had this complete sense of calm knowing that my eternity was settled and that I'm going to meet Jesus tonight. Okay. And that I think is what caused my friends to run up to me or walk up to me the next day after the battle was over with and say, I heard it in your voice. I watched you on the city streets. And when everyone else was totally terrified, you were perfectly calm. And they asked me, they even in their minds made the connection to, it has something to do with your faith because you have something I don't have. And they asked me to tell, several of them asked me to tell them about my faith because they said, I want what you have, Jeff. And that's a moment that I'll never forget. Um, God just threw wide open the doors to share what I believe in Jesus with, with my buddies who were not willing to hear it before this event, but after it was over with, couldn't wait to ask me about it. Yeah. And I was sitting last night just listening to you tell some of these stories and my wife was sitting next to me and uh, she got emotional thinking about what your wife at, the, at that time, who wow. I think was pregnant with your first child. And, um, and she got emotional hearing you say that at one point while cleaning that, that same Humvee where you'd lost a good friend of yours, realizing, uh, I think you said, either I get to go home to her and 
and our first baby, or I get to go home to Jesus. Either way, I get to go home. Right. And uh, I almost get emotional just thinking about that. <laughs> um, and then, as you said, the the events of that night unfold. And of course, um, the next morning, like you said, you had the opportunity to, to share your faith with with so many friends of yours who, like you said, would might not have listened to you preach or, or share mm -hmm. your faith before that. Um, coming home from Mogadishu, uh, and, and it's worth noting too, as I've, I think I've said already, uh, you had been in many other combat tours and, and many other firefights. From what I understand about the Rangers is uh, Rangers are constantly being sent back and forth across the globe to some of the most difficult situations in the yeah, world. That's definitely true today. When I first joined, almost nobody in the army had any combat experience. And those that did almost all of it came from the Rangers. So yeah. Really? Okay. I, uh, that same friend who's now a chaplain candidate was trying to explain to me today how the Rangers fit into the SF community and special forces community. And, and he, he, he basically said, and I, I hope he's not wrong, but he basically said the Rangers are sort of like, uh, the special forces, but they, they can do just about everything because they're almost like conventional warfare infantrymen, but they're also special forces. Was it like that in the early nineties when uh, you were part of it? A little bit. I used to use this analogy in the U S military, uh, under the big term, broad term of special operations, which you have them in every branch in the military. Um, you have some that are very specialized. They're kind of like scalpels, in the surgeon's hands or a very specific tool for a very specific scenario in a mechanic's hand. And then you have like the um, general purpose tool or you have the utility knife and the Rangers are kind of like the utility knife. They work in every situation. Um, you know, you can kind of custom tailor the package, but mm -hmm. they're the Swiss army knife of the, you know, the special operations community. Yeah. And it, it, that seems to be the case. And um, I, I've known a few a few Rangers and, and they're always the, the toughest, uh, bravest guys that I know. Um, and now coming home from Mogadishu and the events that were portrayed in the book and the movie, uh, you describe, uh, as I've heard you describe, submitting to the call of ministry that now you're you're living in and you have been living in for quite a quite a few years. Um, and you went back and served as a chaplain and um, that's had to have been so different than your enlisted service. Yeah, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, what in, but you specifically were a chaplain, um, as I said, for airborne and, and ranger units. What, what did those years, those, those next 10 years of chaplain service, now going from being a warfighter to ministering to, to warfighters, what did those 10 years look like? Yeah, that, what a great privilege. I can't even describe how much of an honor it was I, my heroes are warriors. They always have been, they always will be. And I really felt, I guess the best way to refer to this is wrestling with God about a call to ministry, but that there, he made it overwhelmingly clear. Like he wasn't going to let me do anything else. Jeff, I'm calling you into the ministry. You're no longer going to go kill bad guys for a living. It's time for you to serve me full time. And when I, when I finally understood that, I, I kind of, I, I didn't put any, you know, restrictions on God, didn't tell him where I'm going to go or what I'm going to do. But I, I kind of just laid it out before him. God, you know me, you know my heart, you know, I love being around warriors. I would love to minister to warriors. And like you just described, he gave me 10 years of serving in both the 82nd Airborne Division and in multiple Ranger battalions. 
And what a great honor to be able to serve with those guys. Some of the, uh, you know, greatest men that I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. For, for our listeners who, um, many of us who have a great respect for those who are, are serving, I, I've known from seeing it firsthand from many friends and family who've been in the military, it's, a, it's an especially difficult life, especially for people who, unlike yourself and, and, and so many others, don't have a strong faith and are not part of a faith community. Um, if, if for some reason somebody who is in and around Columbus, Georgia is listening and you don't have a faith community, Two Cities Church, I think, can't, could not possibly be beaten as far as serving military families. But um, for our listeners who say, I, I want to be praying for our, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are uh, serving in the military, what is it, what is life like for some of these people, especially the families? And how can we be praying for those people that you serve there in Columbus and in Fort Benning, but then also you served as a chaplain for 10 years? Well, I don't think you have to walk in their shoes or even know what they're going through to have a heart for them and to pray for them. Mm -hmm. The first thing that I would say is I'm glad that God is putting this community on your heart. They need prayer. Um, Many men and women in the military who have been around the military for quite some time, they have gone overseas, not once, not twice, but multiple times. And that leaves a huge hole with the families. And plus, every time you go overseas, you know in the back of your mind, I may not come back. Every time a military family puts their loved one on an airplane or on a boat and sends them overseas, they know we may never see them again. So it's both the family, but it's also, you know, it's both the warrior, but it's also the family that I would ask you to pray for. Mm-hmm. And just pray that God's spirit would speak to the warrior, that he would grab their heart and get a hold of their soul um, before they stand before him face to face, but also that he would sustain the warrior because it is uh, perhaps one of the most challenging things a human being will ever do. But I would also ask you to pray for the military family because the sacrifices that they make, very few people uh, will understand. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't be the country that we are today without the great men and women that have served and the families that have sacrificed right alongside them. Absolutely. And, you know, you're a great example of that on both sides, serving as a chaplain, but then also a fighter yourself. But now uh, living this, uh, I can't imagine that when you were serving, you ever envisioned what your life would look like now. Um, pastoring, writing, speaking, being asked to do interviews. Um, and what I've seen from, from your ministry we mentioned pre-show that I actually was a student at Liberty University when you spoke there in convocation. And I can remember watching the video of you speaking and you were in uh, your dress blues with, with all of your badges and everything. And I remember listening to your story and just being like, I never served a day in my life, but I resonated so much with what you said. And all these years later, it's an honor to, to talk to you. Why do you think so many people, especially men have connected with your stories from battle um, especially those of us who, who we don't have anything to relate it to uh, specifically, but but specifically even the events in Mogadishu that were depicted in Black Hawk Down. Why do you think your stories are so, um, so relatable for people who've never experienced anything like it? I don't really know the answer to that. Um, I do. I, I, I think I know men. 
when I speak, I really want to speak to men. Um, I'm speaking to the whole audience, but I'm really thinking about guys when I'm speaking. And I really, really want to connect well with guys that are not really that interested in going to church. Maybe they consider themselves spiritual, but they are not really into church. And probably because they saw something, heard something as a kid in church that really turned them off. And I'm thinking, okay, I need you to understand you don't have to be a wimp to be a Christian, that Christians should be some of the morally and spiritually, if not emotionally, toughest people that you'll ever meet. And I think sometimes physically tough, but... I also want people to understand that um, all of us are going to deal with fear. And my story really is just one of many other people that have stories out there on how to handle fear and how faith is the antidote. It is the opposite of fear. Courage is not the opposite of fear. Faith is the opposite of fear. And that's what I try to tell people from time to time when I get the chance. Yeah. Do you think, uh, like you said, you speak so often to men and, and I know that oftentimes you, you're speaking at men's conferences and things like that. Um, do you think that men oftentimes feel that, that, uh, their life is, is lacking a fight or lacking, you know, I, I think sometimes we get trapped in this mundane life that, somebody might hear your stories and go, wow, that, that seems exciting. It's easy to have. I don't think anybody would say what you've done is easy, but um, of course you had faith because you were in a battle. I think many men feel like they're not really in a battle, but I think that you would say we are in a battle. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think every boy grows up hearing those adventure stories and there's something inside of them that says, I want that. We all, all of us guys have in our DNA, a battle to conquer or a quest to take or a damsel to rescue. That's just, (laughs) I think God wired us that way. And I think we all want to know, I think that we all want to uh, believe that if I were in those circumstances, I probably never will, but if I were in those circumstances, I want to think that I would respond the same way. So I think guys need, I hate to use this word, inspiration they need stories of saying, hey, if I was in that, that situation, would I, would I respond the same way? And I think that's actually a really good thing. I think that's why some of our children's stories call out the best in a man. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that uh, a lot of guys are looking at their life and they're saying, man, I want to live a life of adventure and uh, a life of excitement, but getting up, brushing my teeth, going to the office, coming home and dying does not sound that ex- adventurous. Right. And one of my challenges to, is to call guys to just go out and uh, um, be the man that God has called you to be really yeah. just live life and attack it. Yeah. And I've heard you mention a call to a bulletproof faith. Um, And and I've heard you speak on that. And uh, I don't believe that when you talk about it, that you think that I know that somebody who hasn't experienced exactly what you've experienced, it's all the same faith. I mean, the faith that you had there in the back of that Humvee that then led you to the bravery and courage that you, you uh, exemplified so that to the point where your friends were asking you about Jesus the next morning is the same faith that you're proposing to these men at these conferences that they can have in leading their families, leading their, their children, their wives. And so what in your mind is, is a bulletproof faith in Jesus that, uh, that whether on the battlefield in Mogadishu or there in Columbus, Georgia pastoring, uh, you've been striving for this last 30 years. 
First, you're absolutely right. Bulletproof faith does not apply only to the battlefield. It is when you face a health crisis or when you're going through a family issue or when you're going through a financial disaster, it's going to take real courage to, to face those and real faith gets you through those terrifying moments of life. Bulletproof faith says God is sovereign. God decides what happens next. There is absolutely nothing that my enemy, there's absolutely nothing that the world can throw at me that will undo or is bigger than God's power. So I have nothing to worry about because as long as God has me in the palm of his hand, everything will be okay. And when he's ready for me to go home, there's nothing I can do to stop that. But that also means there's nothing that my enemies can do. There's nothing that circumstances can do to speed that up. So I've got nothing to worry about until he's ready for me to go home. And because I'm a Christian, even when it's time for me to go home, I still have nothing to worry about. So I don't, I don't, I don't need to worry. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's such an amazing, um, an amazing testimony. I think that while your story is, is a, is a wonderful example of that, I, I do appreciate about you and, and your ministry that you're calling all people to that. It's not just those war fighters in Mogadishu or who are serving currently. It's all of us. Um, and you are a prolific writer. You've written quite a few books these last few years, including the road to unafraid. And, um, for listeners, the, the links to check these books out and just everything else major Strucker is doing is in the notes. But recently, um, I've seen you discussing this book, start here. Um, and I would love to hear about what the heart behind start here is. And for listeners who want to learn more about it, what, what you're doing with that book. Sure. I got a brand new copy right here on my desk. Uh, <laughs> It just came out. It was released about uh, two or three weeks ago. And I'm showing this because I wrote this book for Christians who are saying, man, I really want to be able to share my faith. I don't even know how to start the conversation. So this book is just built into several chapters that are designed for you to have a conversation with a friend at a coffee shop or invite somebody over to your house or go get lunch with them and just open up the book and say, hey, can I talk to you a little bit about my faith? The book is a description of the gospel, but it's written in the terms of me and you having a conversation and I've never heard it before in my life. And you're trying to figure out how to, what language to use or what words to say. Well, the book is built so that this is how you start that conversation with me. Mm-hmm. The last half of the book is answers to the questions that I have been asked most often about people that don't understand the gospel, don't understand faith, don't understand the Bible. And I put the questions and the answers in there for you as you're having these conversations. If somebody asks you something and you don't know, you can say, hold on, let me see if it's in here. Yep, right here's the answer. Yeah, well, I can think of a few better people uh, to walk uh, people who have questions through uh, than someone like you who's seen as much as you've seen and experienced as much as you've experienced. And so for listeners who want to learn more about Major Strucker, check out his website. It's in the show notes. Um, go watch the movie, go read the book. Uh, I mean, and just think about some of the things that that you've experienced, sir. And and, um, and as we get a little bit past some of the uh, circumstances surrounding COVID-19, I do hope and pray that you'll be doing more and more conferences and speaking to more and more men uh, and women, of course, who are uh, 
wanting to see that bulletproof faith come about in their life. And so honestly, you are a hero of mine. And I'm so, so honored that you would have given me just even a short amount of your time. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, man. And I'm glad you're trying to help people become all things to all people. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you, sir.